Tonight's episode of Legacy Battle is brought to you by Atlas Benefits. Atlas Benefits has solutions for your insurance needs. Atlas Benefits can help you obtain Medicare, health, or life insurance, and employee benefits. You can find them on the web at www.atlasbenefits.com. Or you can contact Rob Ducey or Roy Smith at 727-600-2892 and mention Legacy Battle Podcast. Atlas Benefits has all the solutions for your insurance needs. Enjoy the show. This is Legacy Battle. Make sure you hit subscribe on whatever you're listening to, YouTube, iHeartRadio, iTunes, Google Podcasts, Safari, Spotify, whatever else I'm forgetting. Just hit that subscribe button. I am Michael Adams, creator of Legacy Battle. My panelists tonight from the Gridiron Battle Zones, Brian King, Penn State Collegiate All-Star, Kevin Adams. Our special guest tonight, we're joined by uh, an actor, director, producer. He's multiple hats in his bag here. He started in TV and film to include Army Wives, Arachnophobia, gosh, I'm going to have a spider question later for him, <laughs> Paparazzi, and Caddyshack 2, uh, where he played the, the, the rich boy villain in that one. Get, got the picture behind me right there. Um, he's guested on every big show you can think of out there. He's nominated for Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor for Billionaire Boys Club. Uh, so we are honored to be joined here by actor Brian McNamara. Brian, thank you Folks. for coming aboard. Fellas, thanks for having me. This is going to be a fun time. I love doing these uh, these movies. It gives us a little break from the athletes. So we're going to enjoy this tonight. Tonight's debate is the greatest golf film in the comedy genre. And uh, after, as always, we'll have our Q&A. And we're going to re make this a little easier tonight. We're going to be referring to Brian King as BK to avoid any confusion. So tonight's first film we're starting with is going to be Happy Gilmore. Happy Gilmore. I still crack up every time I watch this movie. Released in 96. I was only 11 years old when this movie came out. Uh, directed by uh, Dennis uh, Dugan and produced by Robert Simmons. One of the screenplay writers was actually Adam Sandler himself uh, and his partner, Tim uh, Herlihy. Uh, this was their second film working together. Um, film was released in theaters uh, February of 96 uh, by Universal Pictures. Uh, Happy Gilmore was a success. It earned... Between 39 and 41 million, uh, the budget was only 12 million, and I would say this is probably Sandler's like second biggest movie at the time uh, after Billy Madison uh, when this came out. Um, you know, so it stars Adam Sandler as Happy Gilmore, Carl Weathers as Chubbs, uh, Christopher McDonald as Shooter McGavin, uh, Francis Bay uh, as as Happy's uh, grandmother, and Julie Bowen as uh, Virginia Bennett, which was the girlfriend of of Happy Gilmore in the movie. Uh, so he found his talent for golf after having an unsuccessful hockey career. Uh, he actually went to a tryout, and the man can't skate, but he has, like, a crazy shot. Uh, he didn't make the team. Coach made fun of him. He beat up the coach. He leaves the tryout, goes home. His girlfriend leaves him. 
uh, which was one of the funniest scenes is when she's walking out and he's on the speaker trying to convince you not to leave. Yeah. Um, man, that cracks me up every time I watch it. Um, but he finds the that... lady walked into his apartment? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the old lady, the yeah. The speaker? <laughs> Um, so he finds out that his grandmother uh, owes the IRS like $270,000 for taxes. Um, so while his grandmother is being moved out of the house, uh, he makes a bet with the movers that he could hit a ball further than one of the movers. Um, he cranks one down the road like 400 yards, uh, hits a house. The people in the house come out. He hits another one. It hits the guy in the head that was on the porch. Hits a third one. It hits the lady that's hanging out the window, and she falls out of the window. Um, so that's how he, how he, uh, you know, found out that he had some talent. He went to the local driving range, um, you know, to make bets, to make some money to help get his grandmother's house back where that's where he met Chubbs, who was the, uh, uh, the pro, the club pro at that driving range and convinced Sandler to join the Waterbury Open to qualify for the tour. So he sinks a hole in one during that match, uh, on a par four. Uh, Shooter McGavin was the guest pro there and he wasn't pleased. Uh, Happy ended up winning that and, and joining the tour. So Happy gradually gets better, placing higher and higher, making more money. Um, Shooter McGavin starts getting worried, so he hires a heckler uh, to come to the Pro-Am uh, when Sandler was um, teamed up with Bob Barker. Um, the heckler got under Happy's skin, so instead of taking it out on the heckler, uh, Adam actually uh, takes it out on Bob Barker, and that's where you have the famous scene behind me. Uh, where Barker and Sandler start duking it out. Um, so he gets suspended, uh, just short of making the amount of money that he needs to make to his grandmother's house. So he shoots a subway commercial, uh, which puts him over the, the amount that he needs. Well, the bank put the house up for auction. Of course, Shooter McGavin was there uh, and actually buys the house. Um, and he makes a deal with Adam, uh, with Happy Gilmore. Uh, basically, the deal ends up being that Happy will leave the tour uh, if he loses, but if he wins, he gets the house. Um, so they go through the tournament, and Happy is keeping up with Shooter in the standings. Shooter hires that heckler again, who comes and hits him with a Volkswagen Beetle in the middle of the fairway. Uh, totally plausible. Yeah. <laughs> so he was hoping that, that Happy would leave the tournament. He didn't. Uh, Happy ends up, you know, coming back. Well, first he starts to, to lose it, and then he ends up coming back. He sinks an unbelievable uh, obstacle putt uh, to win the tournament. Uh, there's so many funny parts in this movie, uh, pretty much laughing throughout the beginning with the tryout. And then, when, like we said, with the, when his girlfriend's leaving him, the scene where he qualifies for the tour, his antics on the course throughout the whole movie, the mini golf scene uh, when Chubbs takes him to, to the mini golf course. Uh, that's funny as, as well. Ben Stiller's in this movie uh, at the nursing home that his grandmother ends up going to. Every um, scene, every scene with Ben Stiller in that movie is hilarious. He, it's hilarious, and they actually did it. Uh, he brought Ben Stiller back for that scene in his Halloween movie that you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so Bleacher Report listed this uh, one of their authors as the second best golf movie out of all golf movies. So not even just comedy. Um, and then IMDb listed it as number three best comedy, uh, only behind uh, Caddyshack out of the four that we're talking about tonight. So this movie is definitely hilarious from start to finish. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. So Brian, before you give it your thoughts on the movie, I gotta ask you, 
Have you tried the Happy Gilmore swing? You know, uh, I have tried it and failed miserably. But we, <laughs> one of our buddies that, you know, we play golf with, our foursome, he usually finishes the 18th hole with the Happy Gilmore and more often than not crushes it. Nice. I don't, and if you look at the, that move, I, I literally just finished it about a half an hour ago. That was the last one I was researching. But um, every time he hits it, I mean, it doesn't look CGI to me. He hits it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's what, 92. So I, I, it's probably not CGI. 96. Yeah. I mean, they can do stuff with how far it goes and all that with the editing. But, but every time he hits it, he hits it pretty darn square. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing feat. Um, that the scene with Bob Barker, obviously hilarious. I mean, you said he's just checked it out. What were your thoughts on it as a whole? I mean, it's it's just nonstop slapstick comedy all the way through. Well, I also looked up on IMDb just some fun facts about it and stuff. And one of the things they pointed out was that um, De- Dennis Dugan, who's also in the movie, did you guys know that? He's yeah, the he, more- he's, yeah. Commissioner, yeah. Commissioner, that's right. Yeah. Um, but uh, he um, he went to Bob Barker and said, you know, we, we got a stunt double for you, so it's not going to be a problem. And Bob Barker was like, no, I'm oh, doing wow. it. Which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, another note on that is Bob Barker, he actually rejected the script when it was first given to him and wasn't going to do it. And then they changed it where he won the fight and then he wanted to do it. <laughs> sounds about right well, isn't Bob Barker like a black belt or something I've first sworn I read that somewhere that he's like actually a, like he can fight in real life wow I've first sworn I read that somewhere he looked, he looked good fighting you know yeah well Brian a- Adam Sandler's comedies like today when people today try and watch them they don't like them but during the 90s and the early 2000s every movie he put out was making 100 million dollars I mean, yeah. just what, what are your thoughts on, on Adam Sandler's comedies? Well, specifically this movie, you know, you put your brain on a vacation. Just let it go to Cabo. Because, it, it, you know, there's like the car driving on the fairway and uh, the alligator with the one eye. You yeah, know, the one eye, yeah. Just silly. Completely silly. And and that's what I think is really fun about it. And he takes every gag as far as it can go. Like, you know, as you were saying, Kevin, the speaker, you know, honey, come on back. We'll kissy, kissy, smoochy, smoochy. You know, and then there's a kid. They cut to a kid listening. And then they yeah. cut to a few more people listening. And then the Asian lady shows up in, in the apartment. <laughs> You know, they take every joke as far as it can go. And that, that's what I love about it. There's a joke all the way. Every second of that movie is a joke. Even the very last scene where they jumps yeah. is in heaven above the house and Abraham Lincoln's Lincoln in the, and the alligator. The alligator is <laughs> with them. What's yeah, Lincoln what, doing? What's yeah, the same coming from? Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then this shameless, shameless. <laughs> Subway plug throughout the entire movie. Yeah. You know, the yeah. product placement there. Yeah. <laughs> well, we, we can laugh at that one all night. Let's uh, let's move on to our second film here tonight, and that's going to be the Caddy. I'm representing that one, so we're going we're going back to 1953. I feel like when I when I when I get these shows, I end up with like movies from 60 years ago all the time. Um, so 1953. Uh, 
starring just the, the legend comedy duo of Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. I think they, gosh, they did well over 15 films together. Um, up to that point, this was, the, was their most expensive one. Um, cost quite a bit, 1.8 million. So for 1983, that's a pretty penny. Now it brought in $3.5 million in the U.S. alone. Um, but if people remember Jerry Lewis, he was absolutely huge in France and they sold a million tickets, over a million tickets in France. Wow. So yeah, this was considered a very successful box office run for it. Um, and it also brought us for the first time the song That's Amore by Dean Martin, Oscar nomination for best song, classic song. I'm sure it was probably number one on the charts back then. That was the one thing I didn't look up, but I love that song. I used to have Dean Martin's greatest hits and I used to have the Rat Pack on a poster in, the, in my college dorm. So uh, just a huge Dean Martin fan I am. The guy is a star. Everything that he does in this movie just shows how great he is between his singing, his acting, his comedic timing. I'm sure working with Jerry Lewis was not easy. Um, just because of the craziness that comes with it, but he did a fantastic job. But it also stars the beautiful Donna Reed. And I had seen Donna Reed in um, This Is Your Life or whatever that it's is. It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. And gosh, man, I mean, she was pretty in that, but in, in this movie, she was absolutely a knockout, a stunner. Um, now, you guys are all too young for this, but she was also had the Donna Reed show, which yes, I grew up that. on. And she was the epitome of the housewife, the beautiful mom, and, you know. Yeah, so. yeah. And now we got cameos from golf legends to include Sam Snead, Ben Hogan. I'm wearing Ben Hogan's shirt right now. So um, he's got an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. So basically, uh, this movie, you got Dean. He plays Joe Anthony. Um, it's a guy who can't keep a job, really. And his sister is engaged to Harvey Miller, played by Jerry Lewis, who also can't keep a job. Uh, but he loses his in much more ridiculous ways. Um, but Harvey's dad was a great golfer, and he wanted Harvey to be a golfer. But he, Harvey was scared to death to to hit a ball in front of people and really do anything in front of large groups of people. Um, so Joe's parents, they own an Italian restaurant, and that's going to, like, close, and they need a bunch of money or whatever. So it turns out that Harvey becomes Joe's not just caddy, but coach as well. Tries to teach him how to play. So they go to the first tournament. Joe wins $500, which ironically, that was what they needed. Um, but unfortunately, he had to give that money back to the club because every prior winner of that tournament had donated the money back to the club and he didn't want to look bad. And he also had Donna Reed there giving Google eyes who was watching. So I'm sure that played into it too. Um, and then, um, Joe ends up getting arrested in basically a mistaken identity, I guess we could call it, theft. And he has to be rushed by the police to make this big final tournament for the winner gets $40,000. You go look at that in 1953 money. That's a good chunk of change. Um, so once he gets there, he's disqualified because of too many disruptions from his caddy, Harvey, Jerry Lewis, and his girlfriend, Kathy. They were they knew he was going to be late and he wasn't there in time to tee off. So they're, they're like stealing Ben Hogan's ball. <laughs> And all kind of crazy stuff. And then his family shows up with all their cars or pull right onto the golf course and start turns into a giant melee and a fight ensues. And of course, Joe and Anthony, like everything that they did together was funny. And there was this rich guy who owned like a club and he offered them a, a, a job as, you know, doing comedy together. So they end up doing that. 
Um, this movie has a really cool ending where the two of them, they finish their gig, their, their comedy gig, and they go to meet up with their wives in the back, and their wives are standing there talking to this, like, new comic duo who looks just like Harvey and, and Joe. And it, <laughs> it turns out the name of the duo is Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis. So their wives, freaky, yeah. <laughs> so their wives are actually kissing them and everything. Uh, and, and it was just a really neat ending to see that split screens, uh, you know, back in 1953, a little differently than what you would see them today, but a pretty cool ending. I really enjoyed the film. Um, so I gotta be honest, like I hadn't seen it. I saw it once a long time ago. I had to rewatch it just to, to refresh myself. And, and I absolutely loved watching it. I mean, Jerry Lewis's comedy probably doesn't stand up today. Uh, I don't know how people would appreciate it today, um, but I thought the movie was really good. So, Brian, I mean, your thoughts on the film? This, these guys are comic legends. So what do you think yeah. about it? Uh, well, first of all, Michael, i got to tell you, I, I'm a little distracted by that really handsome guy over your shoulder. <laughs> Am I right, Kevin? <laughs> I mean, that's just, I'm like drooling. Um <laughs> And no, I, we, I watched it uh, Monday night. I had a buddy over for dinner and uh, we watched it together. And it, it was a lot of fun, but there were a lot of strange things about that movie. This is from, you know, a guy who's in the movie world. There was no music in that movie. I mean, other than the songs that he sang, there was no soundtrack, you know, which wow. halfway through the movie, I was like, wow, that's kind of weird, especially for a movie back in the 50s. And um, But Dean's swing and even Jerry Lewis's swing are really beautiful golf swings. Um, but then seeing Ben Hogan swing a golf club was like, okay, there it is. There's perfection. Um, but no, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and Jerry Lewis, the other thing we noticed was if you look closely at a lot of Jerry Lewis's comedy in that movie, you can see where Jim Carrey got a lot of his stuff. Mm -hmm. There's a direct influence there from the facial expressions and stuff and the, the physical comedy when he's working at the department store with the skates and swinging around and stuff. Um, he, he's, he's pretty incredible at physical comedy or was pretty incredible at physical comedy, you know? Right. Um, but no, that that was a good movie. I was also trying to figure out what golf course that was, because um, yeah. probably Los Angeles. I'm guessing they shot, and I, I was thinking Riviera, but I I couldn't pinpoint that. Kevin, you you know the courses better than I do. Any idea? Nah, I have no idea. Yeah. yeah, they didn't show anything that really told you where it was. You know, I did not pick up on the no background music. That I didn't even notice that. There yeah. was, there was a lot of singing. Unnoticed it, so. until all of a sudden, I, I forget which one of us pointed it out, but we were like, holy crap, there's no music in here. But Dino singing, I mean, and that's the other thing too. I think that's why their comedy works so well is he's like smooth as silk. And Jerry is abrasive as sandpaper, you know. <laughs> it's like two complete opposites. It, it kind of made me want to go check out some more of their movies uh, together. I mean, I've seen, like, a lot of their movies not together. So 
That's something I'm going to have to look into here in the future. Kevin, let me ask you real quick, because uh, we were discussing this movie a little bit before we got on here tonight. Uh, you said that uh, your wife had the same problem that my wife had, like two minutes of hearing Jerry Lewis talk, they were done. <laughs> so <laughs> what, what, what were your thoughts on that comedy? Like, do you feel it would, it would hold up today? Or what would people today think about watching something like that, in your opinion? So I hadn't seen the movie um, until today, to be honest with you. Um, and it just, it, I'm just not uh, into that that type of comedy. I mean, for its time, I'm sure back in 53, it was top notch. I mean, everyone loved Dean Martin, Jerry Lewis, the Rat Pack and whatnot. Um, but it just, it was kind of cheesy and corny. And um, I don't know, it just, I mean... Nowadays, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I grew up with a lot different type of movies and comedy, and uh, I don't think millennials would sit down and watch this this movie. Um, but I mean, I did. I and we talked. I did like the uh, the golf scene on the last final tournament uh, when he was trying to win the ten thousand dollars at that at that tournament. I thought I thought that was one of the better parts of the movie. And, and the department store uh, when he grabbed the rope and he had the skates on. And he shot his boss in the forehead with a dark gun, and uh, you know, you know I mean, there were some shoots a guy with the nail gun. So the nail gun, yeah. Well, he is the construction worker. Yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I mean, it, I don't, I don't see it standing up today. But back in its time, it definitely was, you know, a, a top movie. Um, and it just that type of comedy back then was was big, you know, and people laughed at it and whatnot. But I just, I just don't see it making it in today's world, unfortunately. The world could use a little more corny nowadays. And that movie was clean. You could watch it with your whole family. Yeah. I could I could have my daughter. And That's the only movie tonight we're talking about that you could sit down with like your six year old child and, or five year old child and watch. So And to answer your question about uh, Amore and the in the the charts, it peaked at number two. Number two? Okay. Yep. Hey, that that's still pretty good. So all right, let, let's move on to our next film. That's gonna be Caddyshack. Well, we're waiting. All right, Caddyshack. So Caddyshack came out in 1980, and the cast for this film was pretty much a comedy all-star team of its time. Uh, you had Ted Knight as Judge Smales. You had Chevy Chase as Ty Webb. Rodney Dangerfield as Al uh, Zervik. You had Bill Murray as the insane groundskeeper, uh, Carl Spackler. And then you had a newcomer on the scene who became a legend, the Gopher. So uh, this movie opens with uh, Kenny Loggins' hit song, I'm All Right, playing. We see the Gopher, who's digging holes and just tearing up this beautiful golf course uh, known as Bushwood. So Judge Smales, he sees the destruction, and he orders the groundskeeper to, to eliminate the problem. And an intense rivalry between the Gopher and Carl Spackler, as you see behind me, is, was born. So meanwhile, you have uh, Danny Noonan played by Michael O'Keefe, a teenage caddy who is hoping to gain favor with Judge Smales and receive the annual caddy scholarship. Um, you have developer Al Zervik, played by Dangerfield, who, uh, let's just say, isn't exactly uh, country club material, and despite being filthy rich, and he gets completely under Judge Smales' uh, skin and just, I mean, everything this, everything this guy does just, just makes uh, Smales just uh, irate. Uh, and then you have Ty Webb, who's played by Chevy Chase. Uh, he's the son of the country club's founder, 
And he's a great golfer, and he's like a lot of like a philosopher. He's got a lot of the wisecracks and stuff during the uh, during the flick. And uh, and so then you've got Danny Noonan. He really he appears to be winning uh, Judge Smale's favor, um, and then the disaster strikes for him twofold because you have um, you have Serzik's, uh boat, larger boat, runs into Judge Smale's boat and completely demolishes it. And and Danny Noonan's at this party, but you you know Judge Smales quickly finds out that that Noonan had snuck away, and you know he was sort of uh, you know dropping the anchor so to speak with Judge Judge Smales' um, niece, and so Judge Smales decides that you know he wants to keep this quiet, so he's going to give Danny another chance at the scholarship. So then things come to a boiling point between Smales and Cervic, um, and they agree to a doubles match which uh, the winner would get $40,000. So you had Dr. Bieber and Smales versus Webb and Zervik. Uh, so while all of this is going on, the gopher and, and Carl are just battling. Uh, first, Carl, he tries to grab the gopher. He puts his hand in a hole, and the, the gopher bites his hand. Um, then Carl, he tries to, to flood the gopher out with thousands of gallons of water from the hose. Uh, then Carl just straight up tries to shoot him with a rifle. Um, none of this stuff works. So finally, while uh, you know, while Carl is sort of insanely explaining how he's going to get, you know, on the varmint's level, uh, Carl fashions several pieces of plastic explosives uh, that resemble uh, rodents, like, you know, like, uh, bunnies and, and chipmunks and stuff, that he's going to try to outsmart the gopher with. But meanwhile, the gopher is kind of watching through the window, and he sees what's going on. <laughs> so back to this all-important golf match. Uh, Webb, he makes the mistake of smoking a huge doobie with Carl the previous night. So his game is all, is all out of whack. Uh, Zervik, he's playing poorly. So he ends up taking a shot that ricochets and comes back and hits his arm. So he tries to claim injury that, so that this match will end up being a draw. But instead they rule that Danny Noonan can come in and, and replace Zervik. So Danny comes in and he plays well and he ends up going for the winning putt. And he puts the putt right at the edge of the hole. So right at the same time, Carl, he detonates his plastic explosives and pretty much just blows up the whole damn uh, golf course and ends up vibrating the ball into the hole for the win. So, you know, everybody on, uh, you know, on Zervik and Danny's side is all happy. Um, and so the last thing you see is you see the gopher comes out of this hole. You know, he coughs a little smoke out of his mouth. And he just starts boogieing that I'm all right again, you know, because, you know, the gopher's still, he's still hanging in there. So this movie was just absolutely hilarious from beginning to end. Uh, ESPN once called it the funniest sports movie ever. I mean, any sport. And, uh, you know, I really totally agree with that take. I think it was just a hilarious movie all the way around. All-star cast for sure. Brian, your, your thoughts on the film? I know you're a little familiar with the gopher from your time on Caddyshack 2. But the gopher uh, made a much better deal the second time. Got a lot more money. Got a lot. More money. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, what are your thoughts on the film? And I mean, I don't, I don't know, like what today people would think of some of the jokes in that. Like, I don't think they'd be said in some movies today. Um, but you know, what what are your thoughts on Caddyshack? Well, I tell you, I got a lot of them. Um, because when, when I got, uh, asked to do, uh, Caddyshack 2, 
you know, you're hoping to do a sequel to one of the great, as you say, comedy movies, comedy sports movies, comedy golf movies of all time. And uh, at that time, little inside baseball, um, Rodney Dangerfield was just kept negotiating himself out of the movie. He just kept asking for more. Every time they gave him something, he said, no, no. And then we got Jackie Mason, who, you know, God rest his soul. He just passed a few weeks ago. Um, did okay, but he never acted before. So he was really out of his league and stuff. But back to Caddyshack. Um, one of the stories I heard on it from uh, from someone who shall not be named but was in the first movie um, was that, you know, during the 80s, there were, there were some drugs going around. And they got back from Florida to L.A. and started uh, editing this movie. Um, it, it was Harold Ramis, wasn't it, who directed yes. it? Yes, And uh, And they sat there and they were like, we have no movie. We have no story. There's nothing. And they and he and Bill Murray went back to Fort Lauderdale and did all of this stuff after the fact and kind of wove it into the story um, to, to bring the whole story together and stuff, which I thought was really interesting. But it, I, I think a lot of the gags hold up. I mean, the, the candy bar in the pool. Yeah, yeah that was funny. Classic. Classic gag with the Jaws music playing, you know. <laughs> and you're you're right on about about the drugs. I've seen the true Hollywood story about this show, and uh, Harold Ramis wasn't afraid to talk about some of the drug use that was going on at Thorne. Yeah, I, it, it made a lot of those guys sober after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> And I know, like, too, they, they they talked about the heat. Like, it was, like, 110 degrees when they're filming that movie. So I'm sure it was not an easy time out there uh, on that yeah. course all the time. Brian, I mean, I'm sorry, BK, <laughs> like, I understand you're representing this movie. I mean, what what are your thoughts as far as it holding up today? I mean, I think I echo, I echo what you said. I mean, there's a few of the jokes that, you know, I don't think maybe the feminist type would types would like too much, you know, stuff like that. So there's some there's some stuff that was okay in 1980 that's not really viewed as okay now. But um, as far as like if you can get sort of set that aside and just you know, I mean, like Brian said earlier, just sort of turn your brain off and then you know enjoy the ride. I think it holds up, you know, on a comedic um, level, you know, with any of these movies uh, easily, you know, and so. Um, it just kind of, I guess it kind of depends on, you know, your approach as you as you go into the movie. Well, we'll see if it wins our vote tonight. Let's move on to our final film tonight. That's going to be Tin Cup. BK and I are going to be splitting this one up here a little bit. But So this movie was made in 1996 on a budget of $45 million, brought in $75.8 million. So not exactly a huge take, huge success. I mean, I don't think... When you add in all the extra money it costs to advertise and all that, probably didn't bring in too much of a profit. But uh, stars Kevin Costner, who was nominated for the Golden Globe for this movie, uh, for Best Actor in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. Um, this also reunited Costner with uh, Ron Shelton, who had done Bull Durham with him. So they had that connection already going. Um, that was, you know, Gold and Bull Durham, so they were really trying to remake that gold together. 
Um, and then it also stars Don Johnson and Renee Russo. And of course, Cheech and Chong's own Cheech Marin. <laughs> Got to give him a shout out. Just a hilarious, hilarious guy. It still holds 72% on Rotten Tomatoes. So that that's not that's not too bad, 72%. Brian's, BK is going to give us a little synopsis here of the film, and then we'll ask uh, Brian McNamara his uh, thoughts on the movie. So what, um, this movie starts off a set like in West Texas, and uh, Kevin Costner, he's a driving range um, owner, and he's kind of I guess he's a really really good golfer who never really I guess applied himself. Um, you know, it's thought that he probably could have made the big time. And, and Cheech Marin is his caddy, and Cheech really, really believes in him and feels like, you know, he could be a champion golfer if he would just apply himself. But he had a reputation of really self-destructing in big moments, and, and that's going to come up later um, in this movie. But that's sort of always been his mantra, his, you know, his history, is that, you know, he's a guy that just couldn't really finish. So um, what ends up happening is Renee Russo shows up and she wants to get golf lessons um, uh, from Kevin Costner. And so, you know, there's, there's some funny parts there where she's sort of adjusting to the game. And, and there's a lot of, uh, lot of philosophy that, that Kevin Costner sort of spills out. Um, and as things progress, you know, Kevin Costner is really getting the hots for her. But then he discovers that she is – um, the girlfriend of a guy, a golfer who he had a great rivalry with back when, when they were younger, Don Johnson. And Don Johnson in this movie, he's just, I mean, he's, he's pretty much a jerk. You know, he's a real snobbish type, type of guy. You know, I'm better than you and everything. And you know, he really, really talks down to Kevin Costner throughout this film. So Kevin Costner eventually, one thing leads to another, and he's really trying to prove himself to – uh, Rene Russo, uh, like, sort of prove himself worthy. And so he decides that he's going to try to go and he's going to, uh, his goal is to win the U.S. Open. You know, he's going to sort of stick it to Don Johnson, who's a golf pro, and he's going to, and he's going to sort of win her over. Um, so he starts going through the qualifying, going through everything, and he's really, really doing well. But the one thing that's sort of holding him back is he plays really, really aggressively. And this is like a big battle between him and his caddy, Cheech Marin, that he just, you know, he, he always, he wants to go for these long shots that, you know, is, you know, have like a water hazard or, or a sand pit or something like that, rather than just sort of playing it safe. And then meanwhile, every time he screws up, John, Don Johnson is there to sort of lecture him on, you know, ah, you should play it safe. And so um, one thing leads to another, he ends up qualifying for the, for the open. He gets into the open is the first day he shoots an 83, which was like one of the worst scores ever. And, you know, it's looking like he's just going to have to, you know, he's just going to have to bail out and leave. Um, but, you know, he gets a lot of support from his little support group there. Come, you know, comes back, sort of throws caution in the wind. And the next day he sets a, he sets a course record. Uh, I believe it's a 62, if I'm not mistaken. And, and he gets some, yeah. um, and so he's like right back in the thick of things. So day three goes, day four, well, the, the important thing to remember is on hole 18, every time, he tries to, on his second shot, he tries to hit it over the water hazard onto the green. And every time he fails and it ends up costing him um, each time. So now you get to the final day. He's neck and, and neck with Don Johnson. That par five, right? That, that's correct. Right. right, right. And so um, he, gets to the, he gets to the final day. He's neck and neck with Don Johnson now. 
um, you know, he's got a chance to win. The, you know, it's like, you know, a, a basically a no-name showing up, has a chance to win the U.S. Open. I mean, it's huge news. You, know, you see there's a Jim Nance, uh, you know, from the World of Sports, great announcer. He's, you know, he's announcing the, uh, the events and everything, and everybody's shocked. So then you finally get into this final hole, and he, Kevin Costner ends up trying to do the same thing. He's trying to use his, uh, use his uh, wood, four wood, or was it three wood, right? And he tries, tries to, to get it over the, uh, the water hazard, ends up putting it in the drink again. And he tries, he ends up just over and over, sort of gets insane, trying to do this, trying to put this shot in over and over and over again. Ends up shooting a 12 on the final hole, but what he does do is he does finally get it onto the green, which is something no one else was able to do. And everybody sort of shifts and doesn't really even notice that Don Johnson was the winner. They sort of just make, you know, this, this legendary sort of scene that he puts on ends up being the thing that's, you know, people remember for, forever. He wins Rene Russo's heart. They're all together now. And, you know, now he's, he's, he's qualified for the next, you know, the next season as well. And he's sort of like a, you know, bona fide up and coming star now. So the whole thing sort of, you know, it's like, um, in a way, he's, in a way, Kevin Costner's a little bit like how he was in, in Bull Durham, where he's a guy who like, you know, he had a lot of things that, that passed him by. He could have been this great superstar, a lot of things sort of, you know, self-inflicted wounds or whatever. It's the same sort of character in this, but, you know, but in the, in the world of golf. And I thought that there was a lot of really good golf in this, probably better golf than any of the other uh, movies we're talking about tonight. The only thing BK forgot to mention about that, too, is Rene Russo was actually his shrink. <laughs> that, that's right. Shrink, yeah. So. yeah. Right. So yeah. You, th you throw that in there, too. So, Brian, mm -hmm. I, something, something Rene Russo said on that 18th hole on the last day, I, I, I really loved, and I think it's so true in sports. She had said, Nobody remembers who won the U.S. Open five years ago, but they're going to remember this shot. And yeah. like, when I think about that, like in real sports, I was, I, was, I was thinking to myself, what's something that was famous in sports? And what came up to me was, uh, oh gosh, in the 80s, Crash McRae, who's an outfielder, ran through the outfield wall. You see it on all the bloopers and, and made the catch. Made the catch, that's right. Yeah, but if no one would be able to tell me who won the World Series that year, you know, but they're going to remember that catch, you know, so he's famous for life, you know. Yeah. I, what are your thoughts on something like that? I mean, do you, does that seem accurate to you too? And 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 tell us about the movie and the acting performance. Costner's always you know, well. A couple things, and first of all, BK's spot on. Uh, easily the best golf of any of any of these movies. I mean, again, I was talking about Dean Martin's swing, Kevin Costner's golf swing, you know, and Don Johnson. If you look closely, they don't show him a lot. He doesn't have that great golf swing. I mean, it's okay, but you can tell it's not a full-on pro, whereas Kevin Costner could be a pro, you know, with his golf swing. Um, and and that, was the, that was the other thing I found really interesting about the movie was it was, while it was a comedy, it was about the mental game. And the mental game of golf, for instance, there's a book that I love. I read it probably 20 years ago. And the, let me preface this all by saying I suck at golf. I really enjoy playing it, but I suck at golf. Um, but uh, is a book called The New Golf Mind. And it basically splits your brain into two halves, which it, it does anyway, the creative half and the analytical half. So that when you're setting up for a shot, you use this, I think, the right half of your brain 
and you figure out the wind and the distance and the elevation and the, all this kind of stuff. And then when you step up and address the ball, you turn that brain off and you turn on your left brain and you use your imagination and you imagine a great golf swing. And that, that's kind of what I thought was fun about this movie, you know, was it delved into that, you know, all the demons that Kevin Costner had uh, as a golfer, which, like you said, he also has in, in Bull Durham, you know, uh, that he had to overcome. But uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I one of One of the negatives for me was that group of buddies of his, they they were just there for a gag. Like there was no, none of them had any kind of real life to it or a real friendship or anything. They were just peeking through the window at Rene Russo and, you know, sleeping on the floor in the Winnebago. It, it just didn't have, but there was a Waffle House in the movie. So it had that going for it, <laughs> yeah, which yeah. is nice. I, I think, I think Cheech though, I think Cheech was really his friend. You know. Oh, absolutely. And I, yeah. and I was going to say, too, it, mm. what struck me is that Cheech is a really solid actor. Yeah, yeah. Really good. He had some serious stuff going on there. When, you know, as you were talking about, when he gets pissed off at Kevin Costner for mm. go being too aggressive and not listening to him, mm. he's, he nails it. Yeah. Kevin, real, real quick. Oh, go ahead. All right. You go ahead. Yeah, so I was just going to mention, you know, I agree that this movie definitely has the best golf. As far as comedy goes, I think it's the least funny out of the four that we're talking about tonight. But golf-wise, like, this is a great movie. I love I love this movie. I used to watch it all the time. Um, Costner actually got trained by Gary McCord, who's a commentator and, and a pro golfer, oh, and funny. was in the movie. And... There was a lot of actually pros that made uh, appearances in this. Mickelson, Jansen, Couples, Stadler. So, I mean, it definitely had a lot of a golf aspect to it. But Gary McCord trained Costner um, extensively on this on this movie to perfect his swing. Um, and then that event uh, with Costner shooting that shot at the end was actually based on a real event. Gary McCord had a, uh, a tournament that he was in, and he needed a birdie to win. And he kept going for it over and over and over again and actually ended up getting a 16 on the hole. Oh, my wow. God. I didn't know that. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, so the movie, I mean, it's great. It's a great movie. But if we're looking at because this is we're going for comedy here, unfortunately, mm -hmm. I, don't, I think this is the least funny out of the four. And, it, it, you know, the other thing I forgot because I rewatched it earlier this week was that in that final round of golf, his first shot on the 18 – or his first second shot on the 18th hole, I for, I thought it, you know, I remembered what happened in the movie, so I thought it went straight in the water. I forgot that it actually landed on the ropes down. And then yeah, the yeah, yeah. off the false front. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought it was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Early dramedy tonight. We'll call it a dramedy because it's dramedy <laughs> comma. So, all right, let's move into our vote tonight. Can't pick your own, guys. BK, you're in my corner. Go ahead. Well, I mean, like I said, I, you know, I thought Tin Cup had the best golf, um, you know, and then, of course, you know, the Caddy is a very great, very great classic um, golf film. But, um, you know, I can't pick my own Caddyshack. So, I, you know, I got to go with Happy Gilmore. I mean, that one just, 
completely. I'm just laughing through the whole entire thing. I mean, that that scene behind Kevin there, you know, the, the whole, you know, price is wrong thing, you know, I mean, that was just, <laughs> I just lost it when he said that. So, um, yeah, I got to go with that one. Kevin, go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to um... – I already, I already said that Tin Cup is the least funny of the four. And then the caddy, it just, it just, nowadays, I, I just didn't, I mean, it was a good movie and it was probably really funny back then. But for me, it's just not a winner for me. So I'm, I'm going to have to go with Caddyshack. I love the, the candy bar scene. I love when uh, Bill Murray hits, uh, he pretends like he's driving and he takes out those flowers that look like golf balls. <laughs> that oh, he has, like, played, yeah. like winning the championship or something when he's hitting them. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with Caddyshack. <laughs> I, bet, I bet your grandparents loved the Caddy. They thought it was hilarious. Okay. Yeah, probably. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. So uh, we're going next here. Um, so if you would have asked me before this week, I would have said Caddyshack hands down. Hands down, because that's the first thing people think when you think of golf movies is Caddyshack. And I remember watching it when I was younger, and I I thought it was so great and hilarious. And then when I rewatched it this week, I'm like, I didn't think it was that great. And I was shocked by that. I really was shocked by that. And, I mean, yeah, there's definitely some funny scenes. And if I was voting for what is the best golf movie of all time, I'd give it to Caddyshack hands down. However, we're voting tonight for... What's the funniest? And to me, the funniest one was Happy Gilmore. Even when we were talking about the movies tonight, we were all cracking up the most talking about Happy Gilmore. Um, maybe it's the time I grew up in. I don't know. But I'm going to give my vote to Happy Gilmore. Brian, we're on to you. Oh, boy. This is a lot of pressure. You didn't tell me about the pressure, fellas. <laughs> I feel like uh, Kevin Costner in Tin Cup. Um, <laughs> no, no, I, no, I mean, <laughs> The the interesting thing in rewatching these movies and talking with you guys is each of these movies has strong points and weak points, and uh, and having watched all of them again, uh, I think Happy Gilmore is strong on the funny, almost zero on the plot. Like there's no, it, it's not, it, like I said earlier, just check your brain out and go have a good time watching the movie. Um, the caddy, you know, uh, there was good stuff in it, but there was some strange stuff too. Like that ending actually threw me I, and my buddy, we were just like, wait, rewind that. Did he just say Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis? Um, you know, all these things, but uh, and and again, the Tin Cup was uh, a terrific movie, fun to watch, good sports movie, um, good underdog movie. If we're talking comedy, I'm not going to give it the big plus. So uh, I have to create a tie and say Caddyshack because to me, it's just got all the elements and you know the line that keeps coming back to me and especially because I was fortunate enough to get to work with him just a little bit. Chevy Chase is hysterical and the scene where Bill Murray and Chevy Chase are smoking the doobie and Bill Murray says, yeah, you, uh, you, I, you got a pool at your place, right? He goes, yeah, I got a pool in a pond. The pond would be good for you. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. classic Chevy Chase. So I go Caddyshack 
So that's two for Happy Gilmore, two for Caddyshack tonight. On our show, when we have a tie, when the special guests voted for one in the tie, their vote counts as more. Win for Caddyshack oh, tonight. Wow. Good, thank goodness you didn't tell me that to begin with. Even more pressure. <laughs> you know, it, it, ha it happened with Megan Cavanaugh in A League of Their Own. She voted for it. Uh, to make a tie, so it got the win as well. But uh, I lost that one because of the uh, guest vote too. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move into our Q and A. Uh, BK, you got the wins. You got first question. All right. So my question for you is because of the popularity of Caddyshack, which is so large, um, was there a sense of pressure during the filming of Caddyshack Two to kind of try to live up to the you know the sort of lofty expectations? Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting. I wouldn't say it was oppressive pressure, like, but we all felt it. We all, you know, and again, it started right from the beginning with the casting and stuff like that. Um, not having Rodney Dangerfield in it, you were like, okay, um, all right, well, we're still going to give it our best shot. And, you know, uh, but we did have Chevy Chase in it and Dan Aykroyd and stuff and, and Randy Quaid. Some great people and the the young crowd that you have pictured behind you, you know, Jessica Lundy and Jonathan Silverman and China Phillips, you know, it was uh, it was a good group. But we did we definitely felt the responsibility to try and 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 I'll be honest, I didn't think it worked out great. But, you know, Michael, notwithstanding your comment about really loving that movie, which I very much appreciate. When I go into a pro shop, that's what I'm recognized for. You know, I've been doing this for 40-something years, and when I go to a golf pro shop, I'm recognized for Caddyshack, too. And that makes me proud, you know, so. Kevin. So I want to take you to 1995 to um, – Uh-oh. That, 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 actually, I, I love it. It's uh, one, of the, one of the funniest episodes of Seinfeld. Uh, you start in the wink. Uh, George uh, gets squirted in the eye by grapefruit, and uh, that causes uh, Kramer to sell George Steinbrenner's uh, birthday card, and a kid in the hospital gets it and <laughs> yeah. tries to get it back. Uh, what was it like filming that episode and, and you know working with the cast of Seinfeld and, and uh, doing that episode? You know, what's interesting about uh, and that, and that was just on, uh, I was actually back visiting my dad in New York a, a couple of weeks ago, and that happened to be on a rerun. So it's, it's always kind of fun. My dad, actually, today is his birthday, his 93rd birthday. Oh, but wow. it, so it's always fun for him to kind of see me on, I mean, he knows I've been doing this a long time, but still it's fun for him to see me on TV, you know, um, and especially with that 80s big hair. Uh, but it's interesting coming into a show. It depends on when you come into it. Like if I did Seinfeld in season one or season two, when they were still kind of finding their way, that would have been one thing. But this was, I think, season six or seven. seven. Yeah. They were big. And so you're a little awestruck as a guest star. And the other interesting thing about guest stars is, if you notice, they don't do much. They don't do a lot of comedy. We're the straight man for them to be funny. You know, uh, I, I was a straight man for Elaine, who Julia is hysterical to be funny. But you're coming into Seinfeld. Like, I was a fan. 
And so it was like, holy crap. And they were all really nice, except for Michael Richards, who ultimately was nice, but I found out he had never said hello to me. And I was like, okay, I guess that's how you roll, whatever. It turns out he is painfully shy. And so he just walks around the set and he works out his bits. You can see him doing it like all the time, you know, in in his imagination, like what he's going to do in this particular scene. But he's so shy that when we finally did like almost have to say hello, he was like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm really sorry. I, I didn't say hello before. And I was like, "Okay, so you're not an asshole. You know, <laughs> if I'm allowed to say that here, yeah, but it was a lot of fun. I, I mean, it. I, I love doing sitcoms. You know, for an actor, having a live audience, especially with comedy. You know, for instance, when we did Caddyshack Two, you're filming, and you got to be quiet on the set, no noise. You know, so if you do a joke, you don't know if it's funny. You hope it's funny, but with a live audience for a sitcom like Seinfeld. It's it's fun to have that audience feedback. So for 117 episodes, you played Michael Holden on Army Wives. I got to ask you about Army Wives. There's, there's a lady I work with that absolutely loved that show. Um, so I just want to know what it was like to be every day on set surrounded by extremely beautiful women getting to, and getting to work with them. Catherine Bell, Kim Delaney, just to name a few. I can't tell you how hard I crushed on Kim Delaney when I was in like early college years. So what, what was it just like working with that cast, all-star all cast? Uh, I didn't even notice any of the attractive women, honestly. <laughs> it was... It was the dream job. It was the dream job. I mean, as you said, I was. we filmed in Charleston, South Carolina, which is my new favorite town in all the world, um, <clears throat> surrounded by beautiful women, and I got saluted all the time because I was the general. You know, it, it, and then, you know, even the final season when Kim had been killed off, they brought in Brooke Shields for me. Poor me. <laughs> so it, it was a fantastic job. And it, it was great writing. And, then, and the real icing on the cake was we, we all were really proud of that show because we told important stories. And we felt like we told them well. And, you know, the, the support we got from the military community, especially Army Wives, who, you know, real army wives are hysterically funny. You know, they just, they drink, they have margarita parties. They, you know, they, they let loose a lot um, because their spouses are deployed and any day they could get the tragic call, you know? Um, so they're really there for each other. And, and we told those stories and we were, we were really proud of it. Okay. You've performed roles in several types of films and shows, uh, comedies, sci-fi, dramas, military, as you mentioned. Um, which drama do you feel most comfortable in? And is there a genre that you've never, you know, ever had a role in that you would like to try someday? Um, if it's a genre, I've, I've never done a Western, which I would love to do, but I'm not sure I could do because I'm really allergic to horses. 
Um, but I would suffer through it, and I would do as much Benadryl as I had to to do a Western. I, I'm a big, I'm a huge John Wayne fan. I, I just love John Wayne movies, and I never got to do that stuff. But, um, yeah, you know, in terms of genre, they, comedy and, and drama both have a place in my heart. Um, I, I love comedy. I love making people laugh. And I love making people cry, you know, and feel stuff. And, and on, on Army Wives, there was a, a joke after, towards the end of the second, <clears throat> sorry, towards the end of the first season, they had put a sign on my dressing room door saying, Crying Brian. Because <laughs> I, I'm a big Irish emotional mush. And, you know, I played a pretty strong general. And there were certain scenes when I'd be, you know, talking about a fallen soldier or something and I would start to lose it and they're like, God, you can't do that Brian. Come on, get it together. And you know, the truth is a lot of soldiers that I talked to said that they've seen generals get emotional and they appreciate it because they know they care about their well-being and stuff. And um, But I do love making people laugh. So I don't think I have a favorite. And, you know, my favorite still is acting. If you if you give me the chance to act, I'll do whatever you want. So, Kevin. So how, how did you get into the acting career? Like, did you start young or was it something later on uh, as you got older? Um, in college, I uh, actually, when I was graduating high school, the drama teacher who I had never acted for came up to me and said, you should try acting and I was like well, why he goes I don't know it's just something about you and for me I think it originated because I'm the youngest of six and uh and I just always made my family laugh I entertained them and I I loved watching movies and stuff and um but yeah when I did go to college I sort of looked into acting freshman year and I was terrified so I went backstage and studied scene design because I knew I loved being around the theater. And uh, so I just got into that whole world for a couple of years. And then at the end of my junior year, somebody just pushed me into a play and I walked on stage the first time and I was like, okay, thanks. This is what I do. I appreciate it. It's a, it's a hell of a ride. I mean, it's been fantastic sometimes, but sometimes it's, uh, it's a little challenging, you know, because it's not steady work. So we'll get you out of here with this. Um, I guess it's a two-parter. So arachnophobia, scary movie for sure. Was it real spiders? I want to know that. And then yeah, what, what are you, are you working on anything now, uh, you know, that we'll be able to see soon? First of all, Francis Bay, Adam Sandler's grandma, was in arachnophobia. She, I had met her on that movie. Um that was uh, probably two-thirds fake spiders. What they did for, a, particularly the scene at the end when we're in the house and there are spiders everywhere, yeah. they stuck these rubber spiders on the wall, and then every so often they put a couple real ones. So you'd see the real ones move, and you'd think they were all moving. You know, that was, that was kind of their trick huh. with that. But... Um, 
that was the first movie I got where I didn't audition. I just met the director, Frank Marshall, and we sat down and he said, do you, uh, you know, are you afraid of spiders? And I was like, come on, please. No, no, I'm not afraid of spiders. Not really knowing whether or not I was. I didn't like spiders, I could tell you that. But then I got up to Cambria, Northern California, where we were shooting on my very first day. And I'm walking to the set and there's Entertainment Tonight interviewing Frank Marshall and the spider specialist about these New Zealand brown poisonous spiders. And he goes, oh, look, Brian McNamara is here. Uh, let's he plays our spider specialist. So let's let's put a spider on his arm and and they've got a camera rolling. And I'm like, OK, time to get over any arachnophobia you have right now, because you're going to lose a job if you if you're if you freak out and squeal like a girl. <laughs> um, so, so I passed that test, which was nice. Um, but it, it was a it was a great experience. It was fun working with Jeff Daniels and John Goodman, and uh, and then right now, you know, uh, as we come out of COVID, it's finally starting to pick up again. So it, it's been pretty slow for me. I did a Magnum PI um, earlier in the year, which was fantastic. Two and a half weeks in Hawaii. Where's the bad news? <laughs> Um, and then I just, uh, you know, the other weird thing about COVID now is we don't go into casting directors' offices anymore. We record things at home. So I literally, in my second bedroom back there, I, I record auditions and, you know, put them out there and hope I get them. So uh, we'll see what comes up. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for joining us tonight. Awesome. A real pleasure, you guys. That was really fun. Good movie I want to remind everybody, make sure you hit subscribe on whatever you're listening on and uh, just continue watching and we'll see you next time. Have a great night.